All right, hello. Hello, everyone. Sorry about that. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm going to be reading the Bible for you today. Uh, we're going to be reading from Exodus uh, 30, from verse 1 to verse 16, and then uh, going up to Romans. Exodus 30. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides of the horns with pure gold, and make a gold moulding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the moulding, two on each of the opposite sides, to hold the poles to carry, used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with, overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law. Before the atonement, cover that is over the tablets of the Covenant law, where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar... Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make an atonement on its horns. This is an annual atonement that must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, Each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, which which weighs 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than half, than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make an offering to, to the Lord to atone for your lives. Remember the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. Uh, the next passage will be Romans 6, verse 1 to 11. Uh, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive 
to God in Christ Jesus. Well, good morning again. Uh, Brothers and sisters, could we spend a few moments thinking about distance as I extend really the uh, lesson for the kids out to us all now. Um, And here's my big idea. I hope it comes up on the screen. It will in a moment. Here's the big idea, um, especially for those who are taking notes uh, eagerly with your clipboards and pens and so forth. A life far from sin and death is a life full of goodness and close to Christ. A life far from sin and death is a life full of goodness and close to Christ. So the lesson to the kids was about long, long ago, long, long ago and far, far away uh, versus today and here and us. And uh, perhaps the grown-up language for long, long ago and far, far away would be something like this if we framed it as a question. How does my perception of distance between me and Jesus um, strain my faith or, if it's near, then support my faith? How does my perception of distance strain my faith or support it, affect my sense of assurance before the Lord? Uh, influence my decisions and behaviours, either positively or negatively, perhaps especially my life together in Christian community. How does my, how do, see distance, how does that uh, affect my um, faith and experience of living for Jesus? Does God feel near to me? Do I believe that Christ is near in any real way? Uh, when he or as he feels close or not? or far, far away and long, long ago? How does my life shift in the decisions that I make? Perhaps the things that I give myself to at one time or another in my life or won't give myself to anymore? Does distance lead me to do my life differently? What do I let myself get away with or get carried away by? So, distance. Um, Let me share you uh, this quote to ponder and then let's pray and dive in. Uh, The quote first. The quote says, without the Holy Spirit, so without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simple organisation. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. Worship is the summoning of spirits. And Christian action is the morality of slaves. Let's pray as we come to Romans 6 together. Would you pray with me? Um, Dear Father in heaven, at least occasionally, I suspect, we all feel alone and distant and small, perhaps unseen, like we're all on our own. And sometimes it's grief that pushes us there. Sometimes it's mounting stress, sometimes it's conflict or fear, and sometimes we can't put our finger on it or we don't even have a great reason for it. But God, we know that you are the God who has come near, so near to us, in fact, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have come between us and our own death, so near that Christ has borne our own sin Um, Those behaviours that to our shame they feel inseparable from us, from who we are and what we 
have to carry around in this world in our lives. So, Father, through Christ, we know that we're not alone. And we ask for your help now to reflect fruitfully on that truth, please, to be more steadily grounded in it, to more thoroughly reflect and display that truth to a world and to our friends and to our colleagues and to our family members, um, some of whom perhaps would love to experience the nearness of God in Christ to them in their own lives. So help us now, we, we pray, please, as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you might recall uh, that the, the topics for our Lord's Supper sermons over these months, uh, they loosely follow the topics of an old Christian um, instructional document called the Heidelberg Catechism. That's sort of the framework that I'm using, at least in my sort of preparation and, and um, yeah, planning of, of my sermons for the Lord's Supper services. The Catechism, what is it? It's basically a teaching aid that was first published way back in 1563, so I can't remember how many centimetres that would be, but um, quite a few. It would be like, yeah, 1.25 metres or something from where we were, from our blue masking tape line. Um, And that document, the Heidelberg Catechism, was designed to systematically outline what it is that we believe about God and Christ and ourselves and how to live the Christian life in his world. Um, And it's actually one of the three foundational kind of documents of our denomination of churches. And it's worth a read if you've not read it before, the Heidelberg Catechism. Grab yourself a copy and, um, and give it a read. It's, it, um, it, it is a great outline. Why would I recommend such an old uh, document? I actually think it's affirming to know that the sense in which we understand the gospel today has not substantially changed um, down through the ages. Do you know what I mean? That the one message from God to all of humankind for all time is Christ. And not the Christ who happens to be palatable in our day. No, no, the historical, real, enduring Lord Jesus Christ who has been the saviour, for the, the one name by which we may be saved for the last 2,000 years um, of history. Anyway, here's the question that we're up to in this 500-year-old summary of the Christian belief, uh, and it's a question about the Lord's Supper. Uh, so from the, the Heidelberg Catechism, here's the question. Are the bread and the wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? So there's the question as it's put in this uh, Christian instructional. Are the bread and the wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? To which I suspect most of us here would say, dude, what do you mean changed into? <laughs> like, seriously, it's bread and it's juice, right? It's what, like, it's just bread and juice. Nothing has changed. You say some words at the front, we have the bread and the juice. Nothing, it's all still bread and juice. And you'd be right. So here is the answer to question number 78. Are the bread and the wine changed into Christ's real body and blood? Here's the answer. No. <laughs> uh, I'll read a bit further. No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply God's sign and assurance, so just like baptism, so too the bread of the Lord's Supper is not changed into the actual body of Christ, even though it is called the body of Christ in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Yeah, we just call it that. But friends... Does that mean, do you see the implication here? Does that mean that we are forever distant from Christ in our lives by 14,000 kilometres and 2,000 years distant from Jesus? 
and we're all left uh, with just some symbols to evoke some fond memories of this Jesus who was long, long ago and far, far away. Do you see kind of the teeth in the question? Um, and some of you will know, of course, that the other two major branches from, of, of the, the uh, Christian church, uh, that is the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic church, uh, they both think we're wrong about this as the Protestant church. They think in their own way, they have a different way of constructing it, but they would argue that, no, the bread becomes Christ's body and the juice becomes Christ's blood when I say the right words. There is an actual change of spiritual substance, um, according to them. So, friends, let's turn to Romans 6 very briefly now. Uh, It's talking about baptism rather than the Lord's Supper, uh, the other sign that Christ gave his uh, churches to... um, remember him in the gospel under Uh, but the point remains the same it's symbolic but it is the kind of symbolic that will still change our lives not because it's a great symbol but because christ is a great savior so that's what i'd like us to see from Romans 6 i've got three quick points three quick points these are the ones you want to get down on your sheet if you stand any chance of getting a lolly um, afterwards firstly long long ago and far far away that is where has christ taken my sin and my death your sin and your death we do realize don't we christian that our sin which feels so very much a part of me and our death which feels just like a fact of life like you're going to have to face it sooner or nothing i can do about it our sin and our death should if you take my meaning be to us like a distant memory like something so foreign and strange to us as Christians, like the memory uh, that we can barely recall at the edges of our memory now, or a house in which we used to live, but which no longer feels like home and never will again. Romans chapter 6, have you got it open in front of you? Could we read together from Romans 6 verse 1, where we read this? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, don't get confused by the symbol. Uh, It's not the symbol of baptism, as as Paul's describing here. It's not the symbol of baptism that's all important to Paul. What is it that's all important? It's Christ. Christ's death and resurrection, that's what matters. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are symbols to point us, firstly, back to Jesus long, long ago and far, far away. Perhaps I should ask it like this. Do you ever, are you in the habit, Christian, of reminding yourself or perhaps reminding one another, I was buried with him in verse 4 or verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. We're dead now to sin. 
Um, as you know, I'm, as you just discovered, I'm in my 40s, somewhere in my 40s, not quite 48 yet. <laughs> and I think it's normal at this stage of life for me to perceive my mortality and my age um, and my death a little differently. I gather that's entirely normal at this phase of my life. The realisation that I will never be young again and uh, you can try to soften that with your nice comments after the sermon, I'm sure you will, but age is only a number or something about staying fit and healthy. But if I'm to age well, theologically speaking, isn't this what I need to remember every month in this symbol of Christ? That my death and my sin, instead of being nearer and more burdensome, are strangely further away from me than ever before. Uh, More foreign and strange and distant than they have ever been. For I died with Christ. Christian, you died with Christ. We were buried with him. And I am alive to Christ. You are alive to God in a way now that uh, that we are thoroughly dead to sin. You see, it's a different, completely different framework of seeing our sin and death long, long ago and far, far away. Secondly, second point, the new is near. And please notice here, I, I didn't say the new is here. Uh, and I know that Paul, at the very same author, uses that sort of language elsewhere as he's making a different point. Like in 2 Corinthians 4, the old has gone, the new has come. You remember that beautiful passage there. But in this little bit, I think he wants us to feel our way through the logic a little bit more slowly. So he develops it a little bit differently. Just notice the future tense in these verses. The will, that it will happen. The, the certainty and confidence... Um, to use the language of the Lord's Supper, that we proclaim his death until he comes. But that is still future, that aspect of Christ's return. Read with me from verse 5, would you please? As we consider this point, the new is near. From verse 5. For if we've been united with him, that is with Jesus, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Do you see it? The sort of the the in-between bit is Jesus there. In Christ, yes, the new is here. In Christ, alive and risen and victorious and unstained or uncomplicated now by sin or death. The Lord's Supper for us isn't a, a, a bitter meal of regret commemorating a fallen hero, his body and blood. Uh, what a tragedy, um, fond in our memories though he may be. No, raised from the dead, cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery, died once for all. In that sense, the new is here in Christ already. But for us, at least in this passage, it's will 
Will. Will. It's the flip side of our image of ageing, isn't it? Am I growing, um, ageing daily, further and further from my death and my sin, leaving both at the cross of Jesus? Yes, but am I growing ever more uh, near to life? For I am with Christ, and my Christ is alive now. He is alive to me and with me. Um, Just recently... um, uh, I didn't actually check that. I'm sure it's fine for me to say this. Um, just recently, Katie turned 40 as well, my lovely Katie. And uh, one of our dear friends wrote her a card. Um, and uh, I'm always in awe of this dear friend's um, faith in the Lord Jesus. And uh, she writes magnificent cards. And the last line of the, the birthday card that was written to Katie was so full of faith and so full of Christ, I think. Um, and I, I, I wonder if we speak to our own souls with these sorts of beautiful words. The last line of the card simply said this, happy birthday, one year closer to glory. Happy birthday, one year closer to glory. That is a different perspective on history and ageing and time and distance. Thirdly, finally, Christ is here. So long, long ago and far, far away, The new is near, but Christ is here. Thirdly, Christ is here. Is there in verse 11? Could we just read verse 11 together? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The extraordinary thing about the Christian life is that you get to choose today how you count yourself And the risk is that you might choose poorly. In our homes uh, and as parents or as siblings, uh, we stand to help one another choose how we count ourselves, how we talk about our failings and our sin, how near that seems to us, how we talk about our death and our future and our ageing and our bodies how we deal with uh, stuffing up and when one of us disappoints another. Does this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus? Does this shape our parenting? Does it shape our private thoughts? Does it shape our ministry plans? Does it shape our perusing of the internet? dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus? Does it shape our persistence when things get in our way? Our patience when others disappoint us, our pleasure and delight in wholesome things and the things that we seek pleasure in. Friends, do I count myself dead to sin but alive, alive to God in Christ, risen and free from sin, the master of death, the forgiver of sin, the one to whom I am really alive, our Lord Jesus. Let me pray just briefly and then let's share the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you count us as your own sons and daughters in Christ, very much alive. May we count ourselves alive 
irrepressibly and unstoppably and wonderfully alive thanks to Christ, alive to your desires and purposes for our lives, alive to do good things for Christ's glory, things that enrich and enlarge and even enliven the lives of those around us through Christ. Would you help us in that, please? Amen. Well, in the night before he went to the cross, we read from Matthew 26, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it and you, you, in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, again, we come before you now as your children. You can see our hearts. You know what's in our minds. You know all about our history and our background. Our sin is never before you. Our shames and shortcomings all too apparent. But we come before you in the name of Christ. And therefore, we come confident in your grace. You didn't withhold even your precious son so that we might live. May your grace grow and grow in our estimation. May your glory fill us more and more with joy. God, would you nurture our hearts and would you fill us with hope in Christ as we share this together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, let's uh, with their minds and hearts, hopefully they're already there to the spiritual realities of Christ once for all, body and blood, as we share this very ordinary bread and cup. Um, I'd invite the elders, please, and their assistants uh, to come and distribute the bread and juice together. And just as they prepare to do that, may I explain a few things uh, just as to how we do Lord's Supper here in some ways. There are four things. Firstly, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, whether you're from our church or visiting from another church, if you belong to Jesus, then you belong at the Lord's Supper with us. We'd love for you to share it with us. Um, but if you're not yet a believer, please just let it pass you by as it, um, as, as it comes past you. Um, secondly, if you would love to share the Lord's Supper and you're a believer, but you're not able to take reason, that's totally fine. We have you covered on that front. I reckon it's going to be Marty. Marty usually covers this purpose. Just make yourself known to Marty and give you a gluten-free uh, cracker in place of the bread. Thirdly, uh, we really look to parents now just to make it sense of whether your kids are in an age and stage to discern the meaning of the gospel in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and as I mentioned a few times, it's an area that we're working on as elders with regard to a protocol that we're uh, going to be able to follow moving forward. But for now, parents, it works out in uh, dis- discerning whether your, which of your kids are at the stage to uh, share the Lord's Supper with us with regard to their understanding of the gospel. And finally, uh, in our church, and I know there are people visiting from various churches here this morning, the way that we do it is we share the Lord's Supper together. That means when it comes past you, just hold on to them, and I'll tell you at the right time, and I'll lead us in, in actually eating and drinking. So just hold on to them. Thanks, Elvis, and
The bread that we break is the sharing of the body of Christ. Take it, eat, remember and believe that the body of the Lord Jesus was given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins.
and the cup of thanksgiving, as the scriptures call it, the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks to God, is the sharing in the blood of Christ. Take it, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the blood of the Lord Jesus is poured out for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. We read from the letter to the Ephesians that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, in this supper together, you've given us a foretaste of the great feast that we will share in the new creation with Christ and all your people. We thank you for the brothers and sisters in Jesus around us right now, young and old, from all different walks of life. And we thank you for the hope that we share together of Christ's return to unite us forever with you in glory. What an awesome hope that is to hold on to in life. We thank you, Father, for your Son, the one, the shepherd, who died for his sheep and became to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink to life everlasting. So God, we ask you now to bind us to him in ever-growing faithfulness and obedience so that, strengthened by your gifts of grace, we can display his love and his and your gospel at home and in the world and to all creation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, the one and only God, be all honour and glory forever. Amen. 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 Believe God to see.